Hello, Divine Souls, and welcome to another episode of the Divine Spiral Podcast, where we let spirit guide and lead the conversation to where it's supposed to be for our highest good. I'm Michael Braden. And I'm Jordan Johnson, and we really appreciate you being here today. We have a guest with us. His name is Greg Joseph. He is a master healer. He's been doing it, I think he told us, for over 40 years. We're going to talk to him a lot about, I mean, who knows? We're literally letting spirit uh, guide this conversation. I know me and Michael have been going through some things recently that we feel like could directly relate to how he's gone about his whole life with his with what we would call a business or his spiritual calling. Um, so we really want to start asking him, well, I, th- I think, Michael, let's just start sharing like where we are in life right now. And I think me and Michael are both at this point where we've worked. Uh, he said it really great just a second ago. It's like we both have kind of worked really hard on our past, our traumas, our wounds, and healed ourselves to the point where we can have a still heart, a still mind, a still soul to be able to hear our higher self and our higher calling. And now we're at this point in time where we know the calling, we want to get to the calling, but we have a lot of physical material blocks of like, okay, well, how do I do my calling if it might not make money at first? And then I have the material life. And how do I balance that material, that spiritual, that emotional, and that that mental sphere, spheres of our body um, and our, our livelihood at the same time to be able to do our spiritual calling? So I guess right off that, Greg, let's just jump into you like based on what i just said what what do you have to say to that and um i guess you can introduce yourself to everyone listening to well as he said i'm gregory joseph and uh, i have been doing this healing work for a bit over 40 years now and yeah getting into this was something because i was a contractor and i came up through the uh, construction trades as a uh, carpenter and i was very lucky because i loved what i was doing I mean, I played with wood, and people paid me to do it. I just couldn't get over that. <laughs> it was such a great thing to do. And so I was very, very content in that. Then I, I started raising a family. It was very nice, and uh, I was became uh, I advanced in my carpentry skills. I became foreman. I then started my own subcontracting business, and then eventually led me to building homes. I was actually on top of the world. Things were going very well. Now, at that point in my life, if you couldn't see it, feel it, taste it, or touch it, it didn't exist. I had some friends, they'd talk about transcendental meditation and things of this nature, and and, uh, I'd laugh and say, yeah, let's go have another beer kind of a thing. It's just, I'm not floating around looking down at people like you guys are. I'm right here, you know, (laughs) that kind of a thing. So I I really rejected it at first. so everything was going very well. And then my whole world just turned upside down. My wife was diagnosed with a, a brain cancer. And the children were very young at the time. And you know, I was very optimistic because uh, the doctors had also told me we couldn't have children. We had two children. So I didn't really put a lot of stock in what they said. And I thought, we can get through this. And I asked them, so how long does somebody live? generally when they have this type of brain tumor and they said the longest has been like two weeks well she actually went another 11 years and i'd like to think it had something to do with what i know what i my input that i had into it but what had happened was all those people i used to laugh at i figured i'd better go see uh her illness changed things so since it was in her brain they told me to be wary it may change her personality and that personality divorced me two years into her illness. 
And it was quite an experience because I thought she can barely move and get things done, and she wanted to be by herself. Uh, her mind had made up a lot of things, and they were difficult to deal with. So I was still optimistic. I thought that's the only speaking. Yet I did go into quite a deep depression. I did drink more. I, boy, it wasn't unusual for me to smoke a lot of cigarettes during the day. I hadn't actually realized it, but I was checking out. I didn't really think to myself I was checking out, but that's what I was doing. Luckily, one of my neighbors caught me. She said, boy, you don't smile anymore. You don't laugh anymore. You used to come by and say hello. She says, well, I have some uh, people I want to send you to. Maybe, you know, you can have uh, a good time there and uh, get back to who you were. And she was a very attractive lady, and I, I was kind of lonely, and so my mind wasn't working really <laughs> well. And I thought, oh, boy, I'll have a date here. Well, she was a whole lot smarter than I was, so she tricked me. She took me to a self-awareness course. That self-awareness course was called Lifespring at the time. And I was about two years into this. I was, boy, I can't remember the last time I laughed or felt good about myself. As a matter of fact, when I looked in the mirror one day, I was stunned to see my own face. In my mind's eye, I saw this horrible creature. I just thought life was so awful, and I really thought that's how I digressed to. So I went to this meeting, and there was a woman up on stage who was, as um, God would have things, if you will, uh, there were a lot of beautiful people there, and I thought, boy, what a great place to be. There's beautiful women, there's nice men around, they're all laughing and talking, and and I came up in a family that was like that. I was very blessed about those things. We all laughed and talked and had a good time. During this period, I didn't even remember I had a family. I didn't go to them. That's how powerful this was. Now, I'm telling you this because in the power of our minds, when we can flip that power and open the door to see our higher selves, you'll become really, really powerful. Really powerful in meaning that you can do things. You can heal yourself. You can help other people to heal by opening the door for them. Of course, I didn't know any of that at that time. I was very, uh, like I say, if it didn't, uh, you couldn't pound a nail in it or move it with your hands. It just didn't exist. Well, this gal got up on stage. She said something. I wish I knew what it was. It just touched me so deeply. Here I was, this macho twit contractor. And as God would have it, there's two beautiful women sitting on either side of me. There's a beautiful woman on the stage, and I thought, boy, I think I did just die to heaven, die and go to heaven, you know. And she said something so touching, I started crying, and I couldn't stop. It just, I, I was, it was so, I mean, there was mucus pouring out, everything. I was, I was taken by whatever she said. And I said out loud, they said, oh, money back guarantee or something. And I said out loud, boy, anybody would be a fool not to do this money back guarantee. Well, things had gotten pretty bad. The uh, economy had fallen. My wife was dying. I was, I had lost nearly everything. I had homes and speculation that I'd built on the market. Couldn't sell them. The banks had closed. It was a difficult time. And here I was coming down to zero. I really didn't know what to do. So I, she, uh, like I say, she tricked me. She made sure I went to the course. And that course brought me back, what I would call brought me back home again. It just took away a lot of the uh, 
negative thought forms that I had running around in my mind about who I was, what I was doing, and what maybe some of the purpose that I should be having in life. Well, as I listened to this course, I went and took another one and another one, another one. Pretty soon I was staffing them. Then I heard about a fellow, a great teacher who had, was instrumental in starting all of these teachings that these people were doing. There were many companies that uh, there was a form, est, actualizations, life spring, life stream. Uh, and it turned out all of these were started by students of this one teacher. So I said, I heard he was coming into town. And I said, oh, I've got to see him. This man saved my life. I went to see him and I was so touched. I just floated out of that seminar. It was just two days long. And from that time on, I went to every seminar he did in the proximity where I lived. Then I got to sponsor him. I would bring him to the the uh, city that I was living in, and I got to be very good friends with him. It was through him that I realized that we could heal with our minds. It's our minds that make us ill. It's our minds that cause us to heal. See, the natural state of being is healthy. Anything beyond that we create. Well, if we create it, then where do we create it from? Well, it's, it's very simple. It's our thoughts. Now, the good news is we can change our thoughts. Well, I still didn't really have a real clear understanding of this. And I told him about my wife, and now it was about, we were about three or four years into this now. She was very ill. And he told me about an avatar in India named Sri Satya Sai Baba. And I said, sure, okay, I listened to him. And uh, it took me about three, probably more meetings over the course of maybe almost a year before one day he was showing a picture of him at the front of the room. And it was just a tiny little picture, like a postage stamp that he carried in his wallet of Sai Baba. And I saw, a, I saw the picture clearly, and I was at the back of the room. And I was looking at it in awe because I could see it so clearly. It was almost as though I was looking at a full person standing there. And this light came over and just hit me right in the forehead. And it, it, I, re I remember I fell back a step. It just stunned me. And I, I looked up at one of those sparkly ball things that they have in, uh, in hotel rooms, you know, and I thought, well, something just hit me from that. But that night I had a dream, and there was this avatar, Sri Satya Sai Baba, going motioning me to come with him, uh, to come to him in his, with his hand. I did wait about another year or so, and I was telling a friend about it. He said, well, let's go. And I said, all right. And I went to visit this amazing being in India. And that was one of my first journeys out to the masters. I spent six weeks on his ashram, and I really started to learn that it was the things that you couldn't feel, touch, taste, or see that were the most important. I couldn't speak, obviously, Hindu, uh, but I would sit and listen to him talk, and for some reason, somehow, I understood. I knew what he was talking about. And I realized this was happening to quite a few other people, too, and then some people not at all. And that struck me as well. I thought, how could they be here and not get something out of this? Well, I went there without the expectation that something would happen. I thought, oh, I'll go see. My focus was on healing my former wife. So I really wasn't concerned about how or why things happened. 
which I think helped me to be a much better in the healing arts than trying to understand. Understand is standing underneath somebody else's ideas. What we want to do is understand, to know, to go beyond thinking, to go beyond uh, feeling, tasting, and touching, but to operate as one full, complete unit, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, all as one, and using our senses all as one. And we've all done this. I, I would challenge anybody. You could probably remember a time when you've driven somewhere. You can't remember how to get there. How, how I mean, how you got there, rather. You don't remember the streets. All of a sudden, you're there, and you go, God, I don't remember going past my favorite store or, you know, or anything. Why did that happen? Why did you get an accident? Why did you hit a car or a pedestrian or even a building? You can't remember anything, seeing or feeling or knowing anything. Well, you see, all of your senses came together, and you don't need any of those senses individually. When they're all operating as one, that's your guiding force. It was a real amazing realization that I had just then. That led me to see other masters around the world. I went to the Philippines, any place I could find somebody, Thailand, anybody that I thought might be able to help. I went to Thailand. I met a gal named Jasmine. Well, what happened was there was a producer, and he had traveled 44 countries looking for healers uh, to do a documentary on. He chose. I was one of four people that he chose. He put me in front of this woman named Jasmine. I got off the plane. We went straight to the studio. She told me all about my life. She told me everything about my family. So how could she know? She can't even speak English, which she's doing this for a translator. So I asked her, I said, well, what in the world happened? You know, what? why did my um, wife have to suffer so much? Because she suffered. And I said, she went another 11 years, and she was in pretty difficult shape those years. And she said, it's very simple. The um, women in her family were a little bit tough on each other. And she took on that karma. And my daughter loves her daughter, which was pretty neat. Uh, she took on that karma. So all the women that were passing down this difficult things to each other, uh, she stopped it. And I see my daughter with her with my granddaughter, and they're just two peas in a pod. And that hadn't happened in that side of the family ever, as long as anybody knew. And the second thing was, is her, my wife's passing, took me from macho, nail-bending, cursing, drinking, you know, macho twit, to intuitive healer. Because I was so intent on healing and helping her to heal that I had to go and learn the art of healing in order to do it. What surprised me the most was it wasn't some woo-woo thing that you had to you know, pull out of the ether someplace or that you had to be born with. It was simply knowledge. And that's what started my whole journey. I realized that all the knowledge that we need to heal ourselves, to get onto this path, to this journey, is here. We just need to slow down and find it. You mentioned things at the beginning yeah, getting into the to our inner self, we we realize that there's something else going on. That it goes beyond, you know, feeling, touching, seeing, tasting, and things of that. It goes beyond all of that. It's the place where we step into. I just know. 
And if we practice listening to that more and more, just like right now, you've practiced who you are since the time you were born till now. And when you get more involved in this, you realize it's not just this lifetime you've been doing that, maybe many lifetimes that create our persona, our personalities over these lifetimes with thoughts, with ideas, with concepts that we carried forward or with contracts or agreements that we made in past lifetimes that weren't satisfied or completed. And we've come to this lifetime to complete them. What we start looking at things at from this perspective, um, my right brain kicks in a lot, so here we go. So you start thinking, well, I need to go learn and look outward to find out what's going on inward, when just the opposite is what we need to do. We need to look inward to see what's going on in our outer world, okay? So what we've been trained and taught to do just the opposite of what it takes to allow ourselves to get inside and when we hear a voice or when we simply know something or we feel something has changed, that we recognize that voice, that knowing or that feeling, uh, saying well enough that we understand that that is my own higher self, my own I am presence, the God within me speaking. That changes everything. I know that uh, some of the teachings, I'll take people and I'll teach them how to use their hand as a pendulum. Well, if you're not familiar with pendulums, you could use a pendulum and ask yes or no questions, things of this nature. Well, you have that. We are electromagnetic beings. And so a certain charge, for example, uh, when you have a yes or an affirming type of idea, there's a certain electrical current. When you have a no response or a repulse or get away response, there's a different current. And when you hold a pendulum, that current is interrupted. It doesn't continue around and it shows up in the pendulum which way it turns. For me, for example, a yes answer is the pendulum spins clockwise. A no answer is it spins back and forth. Well, if you could do this with a pendulum or there's these things called a bobber, it's just a a wooden handle with a, with a wire on the end of it, a little ball on the end of that, and a very similar thing happens. But you can do that with your hand. A lot of people do it, well, it's called intuition. Sometimes you get a feeling. Sometimes it's in your shoulder, it's in your heart, it's in your chest area or your stomach. And you know what the answer is in the moment if you just quiet down enough to listen. Now, I went to prove this. <laughs> I had to do it. I was living in Las Vegas for a little while, and I thought, well, I'm going to try this pendulum thing out <coughs> at the roulette table and <coughs> see how it works out. And so I watched them play, and I was having, like, I said, I'm going to bet on black, I'm going to bet on red, or I'm going to bet on odd or even. I couldn't do it on a number for some reason. I just couldn't ever make that work. I suppose there was too, num too many numbers, and it created some confusion in my mind. When I was clear, when I kept my mind clear, I would hit it every time. When I allowed myself to get distracted by the outer noises, what other people were doing, by all of the, the, the music and the um, um, screaming and yelling that would go on in those kind of places, I would start to lose. 
Then I noticed something. When I was playing, I actually then stepped into play, see how if it would really work, I could hear all my negative thoughts. Oh, you shouldn't be doing this, you're cheating, you're not good enough. Uh, if you win too much, you're going to wind up with some cement shoes. <laughs> you watch too many movies, you know. And all these negative thoughts coursing through my mind. When I could quiet those thoughts, then I would bet and I would win. As long as those thoughts were running, I couldn't win. I would lose. So I trained myself to really look inward, to block out all of the noises around me. And I, when I look back on that, I, I think, wow, I, I really didn't hear anything that was around me. And then maybe some really loud person would start doing something crazy, and then that would break me out of it, and I would start losing again. Now, why am I telling this story? It seems like, you know, how I don't want you to use healing practices to let go of gamble. You know, that's <laughs> not the idea here. The idea is clearing your mind and how to do it. When you start seeing results about a change in what it is that you're doing internally, then your external life changes. Let me give you a simple example. If, if you woke up every meeting and had a six-pack of beer, your whole universe and everything that you know and how you perceive it and who comes into your life changes. Okay? If I got up in the morning and I had a big glass of water and some lemon and then some celery juice and I ate some healthy things, I would have different friends. I would be doing different things. I would be creating different thought forms in the world that affect other people, and that way I'm co-creating perhaps a healthy life for a lot more people. It all starts within that vibration. When I was in that negative state, which I had... That, Depression uh, visited me a lot. When we have, uh, I think Abraham Hicks said, if you could have, uh, we have something like 700, 1,760 thoughts a minute. Now, can you imagine if you go through months of negative thoughts, what that does? You create neural firings all throughout your body. It's like going down a road, then going down it again and again and again, following the signs. Pretty soon you don't have to follow the signs. It just happens. It takes over your life. You have to interrupt those thought patterns with some other different thought patterns. An easy way to say it is, well, instead of, let me say it this way, our unconscious mind is what runs us. And the funny part about it is it needs a conscious thought in order for it to run you. Now, if that's true, and you're sitting here saying something like this, I'm sick of this, you've just given your unconscious mind a directive to make you ill. So I tell people, I say, hey, instead of saying I'm sick of this, say I'm well of this, <laughs> okay? And you've given a different command. This is how simple this can be. Now, I told you, you know, I was building homes and I was doing really well and after that uh, uh, overall depression in the economy I went eventually back to building there was a lot of amazing things that happened that created that not the least of which was me getting back on my feet again stop drinking stop smoking get get back into my heart again stop doing those things that distract us 
physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. When that begins to happen, there's no turning back, I can tell you that. You start attracting people that speak to your soul, that speak to your heart. Well, that started to happen, and, and I had already started building houses again. I was getting back on track, and then I really started getting into this spiritual way of thinking. So instead of going out on the job and yelling and hitting people on the head with two-by-fours and screaming at them to get work done, I'd start talking nicely and, you know, coaxing them around, and I darn near lost my business <laughs> because they just weren't used to that kind of thing. If nobody was really giving them a hard time, it was like uh, trying to get a fish to move in water, you know, it'll just stay ahead of you just, just enough so you can't touch it, you know, <laughs> and uh, that's how it was. So I had to learn ways to empower people to keep my business going. Now, there came a time when people kept saying, and I wasn't charging at first to do healing work because I was doing well in construction, so I didn't really need to. And people said, you know, you should charge for this. You should. You know, people really need to learn these things. They need to learn to go within, to realize that the natural state of being is healthy and everything beyond that we create and every thought that we have creates a whole new universe. And when we start having an understanding of what those things really mean, our lives begin to really change. Well, my life was really, really changing. And pretty soon I started, I was getting so many requests to do the healing, I had to cut some time out from, from building. And that, uh, I thought I wasn't too worried about that economically, but it was taking, starting to take a toll, and pretty soon, like I mentioned, I had so much joy doing carpentry, and a lot of the homes I built, I did do a lot of the carpentry work on them. And, and I built those as a, as a contractor, but I still did a lot of the individual work myself. I just loved doing it. Well, it, there came a point in time where I loved doing this healing work more. And I said, I've really got to stop. Uh, construction is taking up too much time. Now, that did represent a major cut in income, <laughs> okay? I didn't know anything about marketing. I didn't know anything about how to get people to come see me. We didn't have at those times, too. That was a long time ago. I didn't have computers and internets and, and uh, all these platforms that everybody's got today. But what I did have was I would continue to go to seminars from that amazing teacher of mine, Alexander Everett, and then I would take every seminar I could find from anybody who I thought was at the bottom line, who I thought lived this life, they grew up in it, they are it, I would go see them. Because I that lady in, in Thailand, I met many masters there, met other masters in India. It's, I wanted to learn from the people who are actually doing it. I actually saw people who couldn't move literally couldn't move. I watched them get up and dance. I got to watch them get out of their, their wheelchairs, and I thought, well, and he kept saying, like, uh, it kept ringing in my head what Jesus said, too. It says, you can do as I do and much more, and I was witnessing this. And I thought, well, this is something that we all can do. I went through a period in time where I just didn't pay too attention at all, and I was really starting to run low on funds. And lucky for me, 
I met some people who are very good at marketing. Now, one thing, this is just me. It may not be you or how you do things, but uh, I did it this way. I learned from them. I did not like anything about it. <laughs> I had to say things and do things like, for example, I wanted to teach people that they had a genius talent within. They could learn the laws of the universe and heal themselves. I said, but nobody will listen to that. You might as well get on a pulpit somewhere and start talking and become an evangelist and hope somebody comes to listen to you. Well, that's not what I wanted either. I wanted to heal people. I want to do it now. And, boy, this keeps interrupting me. I'm going to go off the subject for just a second. There was a little boy that actually came to me. He was six years old. And he had degenerative bone disease. And I didn't know this when they brought him over to the place I was working. I was working out of a house in Oklahoma. And it took them about 20 minutes to get them out of the car after I saw them pull out. I wonder what's taking them so long. Well, his bones were 44% gone, according to the doctors, and they brought the x-rays, and they had to be really careful moving him because his bones would break. He came in, and he sat down, and we talked, and he was just the sweetest little thing. I wish I could have just, you know, said some magic word and healed that little kid. He was just so beautiful. He was more concerned about not being able to play with his friends than he was dying. And he, he was on that path. After talking to him for a while, I discovered his dad kind of drank a lot, and he was abusive to him when he drank. And he also wanted him to be a man, so he was having him shoot uh, little animals with, you know, pellet guns and things like that. And every time they would do that, his little heart something inside him died. And... This is how he came to me. He saw some, I used to use a lot of, well, I still do, I use a lot of essential oils. I don't use it uh, practicing healing right now, but I recommend people do. And I showed him, talked to him a little bit about that, but mostly what I talked to him about was taking charge of his life, that he doesn't need to shoot animals if he doesn't want to, and he doesn't need to um, cause in any way, shape, or form by his behavior, his dad to abuse him. So he heard it. He listened to it. He asked me about the oils. I let him in there very slowly. Uh, I let him pick which oils he wanted. He couldn't have done a better job. He picked oils for circulation, for bone growth. I mean, he was just, he picked eight oils. He was on some medications, so I told him, I said, well, I'm just going to put a little bit on my hands. I'm going to hold your feet. That's okay. He was just fine with it. He was looking out the window at children playing, so he was anxious to do that. Anyway, to make this story shorter, they took him out and brought him, you know, back to his, uh, his aunt and uncle brought him because his parents wouldn't have anything to do with me. <laughs> and uh, 10 years later, I was in Oklahoma, and I said, uh, was visiting his aunt and uncle because we'd become good friends. They, This was how one of the ways I started to make uh, incomes going because I had people in different cities that would sponsor me, and they would call all their friends, and I would go there and do healing work. That's how that got started. Well, I went there to see them, and they said, uh, do you want to see a young man? And I said, yes. And he said, they both started laughing. And I said, what's so funny? He said, well, that's that guy, that big bruiser outside. He's a little bigger than you mowing the lawn. He goes, that's him. <laughs> and I said, you got to be kidding me. He was scheduled for two hip replacements as he got bigger. But two weeks after we had our session there, his bones had grown back 88%.
And this was 10 years later, and the doctor said he was 99% healed. And I said, you've got to tell me what happened. I don't get to hear the stories. You know, I get to see the results, but I don't get to see why. And his uh, aunt told me, he said, he waited for his dad to come home instead of hiding. When his dad opened the door to come in, the little boy said, Daddy, he said, I can't love you the way you are. You can't be hitting me anymore, and I don't shoot animals anymore. And his dad lost it. And his dad was, I would kiss an alcoholic. He had trouble with alcohol, I don't know to what degree. But that day, his dad quit drinking and quit making him shoot animals. And the little boy healed. There was a lot of healing involved. His dad, his mom, himself. It's an extraordinary thing when a whole new vibration gets introduced into a situation. And here he is now. He's married. He's got children. He's never had the operations. Everything's just fine. So these are the kind of things we can do. I was on that program telling you, well, you know, I had to figure out how to make an income because I, I did downsize quite a bit. I had a, quite a large house. I had a 4,600-square-foot house, and I had other homes that and properties that I owned, and I pretty much realized that I've been a slave to most of these. I've, I really didn't need them. People say, well, how do I get along? How do I make this happen? One of the things I had to learn was to, instead of trying to make more, was to want less. And that took a big toll on I me. Mean, I, I could not. It took me a long time to get used to that. I had motorcycles and cars and all kinds of stuff. And little at a time, I got rid of most all of it. I don't even have a home now. I don't want one. I don't have an apartment. I don't need one. I simply go where I'm led to go. And that's how I lived my life. People say, well, God, how can you do that? I say, well, I listen to my voice. It says, go to Texas, so I go. <laughs> and I don't know why or how sometimes, but I just follow it. I found out when I don't follow that, uh, my life gets hard. So I listen to that inner voice. Very important thing to do, to have that inner standing. Got to, you've got to realize when that voice speaks to you, some people hear it, you know, in a regular voice, they'll hear it. I've had experiences like that. I'm kind of lucky. I hear it. I feel it. I know it. I sense it. I'm pretty lucky. And it saved my life a couple of times. I remember one time I was going to bid a job, and it was at dusk. And I walked into the house, and it was pretty dark. There was no electricity on. And I thought, well, I'll go downstairs real quick in the basement and check if everything's working. It's too dark. I take two steps, and I hear this voice, don't go down there. <laughs> and it scared me so much. I ran out of the house, you know, and I saw it come back in the morning when it's light out. And we uh, brought some of my subcontractors over so they could look at things too. And I think to protect myself. <laughs> and uh, uh, we went down the basement. There was a, a crack factory down there, a drug factory in this vacant house. And they may have been down there, and that may have saved my life that night. I can't tell you for sure, except for the fact I'm still here. But this is how important it is to listen to listen to your own voice. Now, had I chose not to listen, there could be a lot of reasons for that. One is, I might feel that I need to punish myself for something. So I'm not going to listen. 
This is true for a lot of us. For example, let's take the idea of a white lie. You say, I'm going to tell somebody a white lie so that, you know, because I don't want to hurt them, which is rubbish anyway. You can't hurt people with your words. People can choose that, but you can't do that. And they can't hurt you with their words either. You can choose to be hurt, but they can't do it. You understand? It's, it's up to you, okay? You get to decide that. When you decide how you're going to receive these things, then you're going to decide your fate. That's all there is to it. You're going to create your next move in life. So you say, oh, I'll tell this lie. Nobody really knows, and you know they'll feel better if they don't know the truth. And your unconscious mind, remember, runs you, and it's been trained. Like what? You, just ask yourself a question now. Whatever happened to you when you told a lie when you were younger, you got caught. You know, what happens to people? They get punished, right? We've had presidents that were impeached for telling lies. Yeah. So you really know if some if you tell a lie, you're supposed to get punished. Well, nobody else knows you told that lie except for you. Your unconscious mind goes, hey, I'm going to punish you, buddy. <laughs> You've got some penance to do here. <laughs> yeah. Now, to the degree that you think you should be punished is how it happens. You could stub your toe. You could break a fingernail. You know, you could uh, forget uh, an important meeting. You could get yourself into a bad car accident. You could off yourself in some way. It's your choice whether you think it is or not. Or you could forgive yourself. <laughs> you could do it immediately, too. Remember, it only took a heartbeat to put it in. You said it, and it wasn't difficult. So why would it be difficult to change that? You started a vibration. Now you can change it. You can negate that by simply saying, Oh, I forgive myself. Please forgive me. You might need to go to that person and tell them the truth. You might have to. It's not that quite that necessary. What's more necessary is you take care of it at a higher spiritual level. You send that vibration out. It will reach that person, and you will be forgiven. Well, I talked a long time. <laughs> no, you're, you're totally good. There's so much beauty and truth in everything that you said, and so much of the stuff that you said just gave me chills just because I know how true all of it is. And there's... There's so much that I could talk about, so much that I want to touch on with all of it. But what I really like that you said is using the term understanding, because I've been doing a lot of research about being sovereign and, you know, reclaiming your citizenship and everything. And a lot of people, they use the term overstand instead of understand. But I like understand better because I feel that that applies to so much because we really do have to have that grounding within ourselves in order to do anything really in order to change our inner selves and also change our outer life. And uh, something that I thought that was really interesting was you enjoyed doing carpentry. You enjoyed everything that you did with that. You said that you were totally content with it. And then it came to pass that you started really enjoy doing the healing work and you moved more into that. So I just think it's really interesting that with both things that you've done, you really enjoyed it and you got a lot of satisfaction out of it, which is so key and crucial to everything that we do. Because I know that so many people do jobs that they don't like because they feel like they have to or they've been told that they have to. And, you know, being in the vibration of forcing yourself to do something or doing something that you don't enjoy just for the sake of telling yourself that you have to. And that creates a lot of other negative effects within yourself and within your life also. Um, so I guess... My question is, uh, which 
not necessarily at which point did you realize you wanted to switch over to healing, but what was that build-up process like of, you know, going through the whole uh, period of switching essentially from your carpentry life to your healing life and uh, learning how to navigate the marketing and reaching out to people and getting clients and everything because I feel that that's where me and Jordan both are. Um, and then with me, like earlier this year, deciding to quit my job, deciding to really focus on everything that I want to do. And uh, it's been about six months of doing that. And the path has taken me in places that I did not think I would be going. And so what I'm doing right now is completely different from where I thought I was going to be headed back during the summer. So uh, I've always been provided for during all of it. Like I've had different ways of receiving the money, just receiving everything that I need. And so that's been one of the recurring lessons is just letting go and having faith and trust that it all works out. And I think that, you know, that's one of the reasons it's taken so long for me to get everything up and going to the degree that I want, because it's still a lesson in fully letting go of the control and fully just stepping into that trust. So, um, what advice do you have about stepping into the trust that you're always provided for? And then, like you said, learning to follow your intuition, even if it makes literally no sense, but just doing it and trusting that everything's going to be provided for. Yes. You said some really good things here. You know, the why is what's so important. It's like, why are you doing what you're doing? If your why isn't big enough, you'll be dissuaded from it. It takes, it, it erodes at the faith. For example, they used to send me um, a group of people from the hospital who were basically sent home to die. And they said, well, you've got one more stop you can go. And they'd send me like six or eight people each, every every about every two or three month, weeks, rather. And they came in literally in height in wheelchairs, and they had medical packs attached to them. They literally couldn't lift their heads or arms or anything. They were on the way out. It was about... Uh, Two years into that, that I realized two of the people that I first met, saw died that evening. I mean, they just, this was this close. They had hours and, and, and minutes and days only to live. And I realized about two years later, though, of that original eight, six of those were still there. And these were some of the worst ones. And there were many more people now. And here we are playing badminton in the backyard where I had this office I used to use in this chiropractor's office. We went outside and played badminton. And we went back in and we're talking and I lost my train of thought. And I, I just couldn't, I, I was totally flushed. And they said, what's wrong? What's wrong? I said, I'm so full of joy, I can't speak. I said, I, I, something just came over me. I just realized you guys are all still here. You know, and it just took me by surprise that, that because, you know, I'd worked with you so many times, it was like we were just expecting to see each other. And they said, I said, so I just realized why I'm here. And it just stunned me. And they said, well, you're here to help us. I said, nothing of the kind. I'm here because this brings me so much joy. I can barely stand it. <laughs> I just, I couldn't get over it. It's like putting wood together and it fit perfectly. And I do these little happy dances, you know, and, they, and I'm up on this stage, my whole body's doing a happy dance and I can barely function. And I said, let's face it, you're not here for me. See, I'm here for my own joy. What are you here for? Well, they're there for their own joy. They could move, they could talk, they could make dinner for their husbands, they could take care of their children, they could do their job, you know, that, that brought them, whatever it was that brought them joy. You've got to look at what your why is. 
and see how important that is to you. That make that for me was made all the difference in the world. Well, why did I do carpentry? I just loved doing it. It didn't require me to go to college. I wasn't academic, and and I went for I think a half a semester. I said that I'm wasting time, effort, and money here. I know I want to be a carpenter, and so I I stopped going to college. I became a carpenter. As a result, you know, I, good thing I I built some of the largest homes in Colorado, up to nineteen thousand square feet. It, it, it's it just kept it like you said something earlier that was really. I'm stunning. I love to hear it. Is I am well cared for. You have the faith, and know that you're going to be well cared for. We're so used to having all these conveniences and all these matters of, of and ways of doing things that create comfort rather than growth. Like even in relationships. Oh, I want a relationship where we don't ever fight and nothing ever goes wrong or bad. Well, there's no growth in that at all. <laughs> You're just going to play a game called Pollyanna. How are you going to learn things? How are you going to make things move? doesn't mean you have to have a hard life to, be, to grow, but what it does mean is that when you are presented with things to do, your why, like being together, has to be bigger than whatever it is that you're facing, or it's not going to work. See, so you really want to be clear about that and and know why it is, for example, in relationship, why do you want to be with this person? What's what's going on for you? See, this this takes us to this thing called love. It's it's I say I love to, to do carpentry. Well, what does that really mean? Love the way my highest understanding of it is, is simply an outward centrifugal force. It happens to be called the male energy, not in gender. Male meaning it's an outward force. It's an outward directed energy. There's an energy called wisdom, and that's also known as the female energy. It's a collection of knowledge. This is why in uh, several generations ago, you know, the woman would get the knowledge and give it to the man. The man would go out and do the work. So that was the outward centrifugal force. That was the expression of the knowledge, okay? So love, when you think about it, isn't a receiving thing. It's a giving thing, okay? And where are you giving it? You're giving it to yourself. It's your feeling that you're having, not somebody else's. You could, now I remember this gal in high school, I just loved the, the ground she walked on. I might get flushed and hot every time she walked by. My face would... Get all beat red, you know, and she never knew I existed. <laughs> she didn't have a clue. We talked about it at one of the reunions. We laughed so hard. I said, yeah. She goes, I didn't know you were there. She goes, I didn't have any idea. And I was totally enamored with this, this young lady. But she didn't feel it at all. You see, it's an outward giving thing. So it is the feeling that I would have whilst I'm with somebody that we're calling love. I'm loving myself enough to be in this place where I feel so good. Does that make sense? See, it's a tough nut to swallow because you always say, oh, I love her, I love him, I love an ice cream cone. You know, it's a trick of what I would call the, the dark forces to say it's out there somewhere. No, it is in your heart. It is so powerful. There's people that, that teach courses on what they call healing through sex and things of this. 
Well, that's just raising your kundalini. It's getting everything running all at once. It's igniting all of those chakras all at once. Yes, you'll heal if you've got everything running at peak capacity like that. That's a beautiful way. It's a way, I should say, that you could heal. Or you could sit with the masters and raise your kundalini. Or you could even do it right now if you concentrated on it enough and had a bit of knowledge about how to do it. This is what love is. Now, I've taken that outward centrifugal force and I have applied it inwardly saying, okay, chakras, let's wake up, you know, let's get, let's get with the program here. Now, here's what stops a lot of people, I found, from doing that. There's a word called being vulnerable, and especially men are really wary of this. Don't show your feelings. People will take advantage. They'll hurt you with it kind of thing. So if you say you're vulnerable, then you're open to being hurt or being to lose. Nothing could be farther than the truth. If you have these chakras, you have your crown chakra connecting you to all that is. You have all the knowledge of the universe and every cell of your body through this vacuum at the top of your head called your crown chakra. You have your perception, your third eye. You can see in what the truth is. You'll have your voice that speaks things in, in, into creativity. It's your creativity. Your heart knows what's pure and honest, serves the highest and best good for everything. Your solar plexus understand the idea held before your mind is your reason for being there. Your second chakra deals with, with uh, well, it, it's like um, it's gender identification, it's finances, things of this nature, it's life sources, okay? And your base chakra throws everything out that you don't need. Well, if you perceive the truth, you're getting the truth, you know what's pure and honest and serves the highest and best good. What is more powerful than that? You want to be wide open. This is powerful. This is not something to be afraid of. We want to be open. We want to speak our truth. Then people can respond at a level that has some truth to it. It's hard enough to hit the truth when you want to, let alone when you don't. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a difficult thing sometimes. Hearing the truth to me is like being hearing silence and then just acting and knowing what to do. Now that works for me. You may need to hear the voice or you may need a direction. Well, it's okay. It's different for everybody. You just get a sense of it. Women call it woman intuition. A lot of people don't know, but the Fortune 500 executives were interviewed at one point in time. I think this was a good 20-some-odd years ago. They said, how do you make you know, your decisions that you got so wealthy. Unanimously, it was gut feeling was their answer. They take all the knowledge in and they get this feeling, this is it, and they make their choice. Women call it women's intuition. Now let that sink in a minute. There is no amount of education that you can get that can surpass that. It's certainly a part of it. I said we have to educate ourselves to the to the proper way of healing, the proper way of no not proper, but the ways that work. Okay. You asked me a question, you know, how did it feel when I went from, you know, carpentry to to healing and things like that, and I I would have called it a petrified excitement. <laughs> I was, I mean, I 
substantially less money than I was making as a carpenter, but substantially more joy. And that's what was powering me. So if it's working for you, I would say, trust it, go with it. I've gone around the world several times when I didn't have a dime in my pocket. What? And I was well cared for. I stayed at the finest places. I met the most amazing people. You say, how did that happen? I said, well, I would just give myself. I, I, I erroneously don't make this mistake. I made this mistake, <laughs> okay? Thought that I had to, it was my job to heal everybody. It's not. <laughs> yeah, I'd like it to be still, but it's not. People have karma to get through. People have to learn certain things, and they need to go through their, their, uh, their life journey. Uh, if your life journey, I made up, I said, well, if they come into my sphere of influence, then that's part of their life journey. It's how I framed it for myself. But you can wire yourself out pretty quick thinking you've got to do everything for everybody. Now, here's the thing, though. I did do that for a long time. The unconscious mind needs repetition in order to create change. And that's what was happening. So I was given to that. And somebody says to me, oh, I'm going around the world. We want you to come. I said, well, I, I can't do that. I mean, when I was a contractor, I had plenty of extra funds. I had things to you know, play with. I said, I, I don't have that. And really what was going on in the back of my mind, I really didn't care. I was happy. <laughs> you know? They said, no, you don't understand. It's all paid for. We're taking you. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and that happened several times. It happened many, many times. Not only around the world, but around the world twice. But I wound up traveling all over South America, all over it. I went to India, I went to Thailand, the Philippines, I went to high spiritual places. That's what I was that's what I was led to do. Now, this is back to your question, is like, how does this happen? When you pay attention to what's going on inside, you do what you're led to do. There were times when I'd be driving down the highway and I think, oh my gosh, I'm all by myself. Where's my family? Where's everybody? And then I would be driving, particularly in the Southwest, and I'd feel the desert and the beautiful, serene quietness of it. And I can remember thinking, I just want to get out of my car and start walking in the desert and never come back. See, there was the least amount of human thought forms there, the least amount of radio activities and EMFs and all these things that we have to deal with on a daily basis now. When you tap within, you're tuning your station to everything that's going on around you. So, for example, you don't want to hear negativity or you don't want to hear these uh, certain radio activities. Uh, you, you've all done it. You're riding down the road or something, or you're walking and you pick up a song and you start singing it, and if you turn on the radio, it's on the radio. That wasn't an accident. I'll, I'll give you a, the best example. Uh, you guys probably don't know. You're not old enough, but uh, <laughs> you could rabbit ear antennas on televisions. Well, we had one of the first televisions in the area, these big rabbit ear antennas. And uh, we used to, there was five of us children, we used to shoot fingers to who would hold the antenna so the rest of us could watch a better picture. Okay. Why? Because our human bodies were that much better of an antenna than could have been made by technology. And so we would use our bodies to bring in a clear signal. Well, you notice on the TV, you've got channels. 
right? You can tune to which channel, which frequency you want to bring in. That's what I'm telling you to do. Don't take, try to take it all in. Channel your energy to what serves the purpose that you're here for. You both mentioned, yeah, we want to get into this healing. We want to get on with this. We want to be able to change our lives, to give up this material world in such a way that works. It's funny, you know, when I got rid of the houses and the 27th, 28th comes around, oh, i got to pay this, got to pay that. No, I don't. There's nothing to do there. And that was quite a shock to me. I said, I was all worried about paying the bills. Yeah, I didn't have any. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's all made up. It's all made up. Thank it, you. Uh, <laughs> it, it makes me, uh, it, it reminds me of like kind of what we asked you at the beginning. It was like, we're at that point where we feel like we want to go our spiritual calling, but align ourselves and feel aligned to that material and spiritual like kind of balance, you know, the mental and the physical worlds. And I find it very interesting because you said something that really stuck out and you said, love is the male energy or the, the masculine energy that you give, that you give out. And then wisdom is almost that receiving energy. And it makes me think about these people who work jobs where they're not fulfilled. They complain about working all day. And I, I realized, well, you're giving. It's like that give and receive balance, but you're giving. But what are you receiving? Money? Material wealth? Like if you if you're doing what you love, you'd be receiving the wisdom that comes with that love. And that's what I, I realized like, okay, so me stepping into a spiritual business that I want to say, an intuitive healing business, I'd have to get, that's something I love. I, I just love doing, I'm passionate about it. I see in other people. I also receive like crazy in that area. I also, when I heal other people, I heal myself. By me talking about their wounds, I realize they're in my physical reality because they're a mirror to my own self, you know, and I begin to heal myself. This whole podcast, like every time me and Michael re-listen to this podcast, we literally get insight that helps heal and evolve us to that next step. And it's like, I feel like that point of alignment for people when they know they're aligned with their purpose or their calling, they'll feel that love towards what they're doing, but also receive that wisdom for what they're doing naturally. Like all is like one and the same. So I guess it, where was that point in your journey, I would say, where you felt that ultimate alignment between what you were doing and what you were receiving? Because you even love carpentry. So how are you receiving there? And I'm, you know, I'm not talking financially. I'm talking about that wisdom, that how are you receiving internally, that inner standing, right? Like, so for you, how, how did you know you were aligned and, and what, what did you have to change anything? How did you navigate that alignment? As you tried to discover, like, did you instantly know, like, oh, I want to go into, you know, healing other people and healing people in their physical sicknesses? Or how did you, where did you start? And how did you, like, how did you navigate that alignment? Mm -hmm. That giving and receiving? Yeah, it's a good question. It's, um, oh, boy, you know, I went back and forth for a long time because I would say, oh, I'm not making enough money healing. I didn't have any clue how to market myself. I just, when people would say, you know, help me out. I heard somebody told me you did this. I said, well, come on, I will try something, you know. And I just would do it like that. When I went to the seminars, people were, I would, you know, I would be standing there and I could hardly move. People were all around me. And I said, what's going on? You know, they said, we were laughing. And I said, what are you laughing at? I said, we all want to be next to you because of your energy. And, and I would, with my contractor mind, brush it off. Say, oh, well, get away. I need room here. <laughs> kind of a thing. And, and, and stop doing this. Um, 
there's several things that occurred. I went back and forth. Like I would go and uh, do a little bit of carpentry work so I could you know, make ends meet, get things together. Now, I loved doing it, so I was okay. You know, it wasn't that like that. One of the things that I learned from carpentry was focus. See, this is God's plan. This is like the divine plan. I could have never learned from the masters had I not learned that focus first. Like I had to hold the tools properly or I could, you know, literally cut a, fan, a hand off or a finger or even an arm. I could lose my life if I wasn't focused. Standing on scaffolding, walking across roofs that have ice on them, things of this nature. I had to learn extreme focus. Now, all of these things start to fit together. Well, when I was doing the etheric work, it seemed like anything but focused the spiritual work because it was my right brain, which you probably heard a lot of already. It's just all over the place. It just functions how it needs to function in the moment. So you heard me a couple times even interrupt myself. I've got to get off this story because this one keeps hitting at me. I'll tell you that right now, and then we'll go back to these others about the little boy, for example. There's so many of those that I just would love for you guys to hear. It brings hope when you have, and, and you also mentioned before, Michael, faith. It's like faith, hope, integrity, uh, moral acuity. You stand out. Morality is one of the big things, but here's the caveat. You make it up yourself, your own moral acuity, okay? You've got to really become aware of what's making you happy, what's bringing you joy, and follow it. For example, a long time ago I was taught, this was that teacher, Alexander, he said, how do you know we used to do this exercise? And I do it with a lot of people now. And it starts out, you say, what is it I should be doing in life? Now we get into a group of three, and we touch our knees together, and one person keeps saying it. The other people just say what comes to them. They might say green frogs or Christmas trees or grass, you know, and the person goes, wow, I've always wanted to be a landscaper. You know? <laughs> and you start to find out, you reach in there and find out what it is that really rings your bell, that you, you just love to do. Another way to do that is to go back to and think when you were 12 years old, what rang your bell? Well, I want to be a fireman. I want to, you know, be a carpenter. I want to be uh, run a restaurant like that or whatever it was. Whatever made you happy in that moment, that's what to pursue. There, I, we had, a, <laughs> there was a story, uh, I never met these fellows, but they were, college kids and they were they were in trouble all the time because they would skip school and go build these enormous sand castles like like a whole size of a house on the beach and everybody said well god they're all studying and going to school and they're just building sand castles and guess what all the hotels started hiring them because it brought people to their hotels <laughs> so they started doing what they loved and they wouldn't let anybody take them off it you find out what brings you joy and keep doing it I had a, a closer experience. My daughter was uh, in college, and she went on this archaeological dig. You know, she was into archaeology at the time. And she met this fellow in the Caribbean, and they started up a relationship, and they just thought this was going to be it, and they really both thought this was the one. And he, she, he actually came back to visit, and I said, well, what do you do for a living? And he goes, well, I surf. I said, oh, yeah, well, that's nice. Well, what do you do for a living? And he goes, I surf. He goes, I, I, you know, I, I just surf. 
So I leaned over to my daughter. I said, well, you're going to be the breadwinner. Get used to that, you know. <laughs> I said, where do you live? He said, well, this fellow let me build a lean-to on his house, on his property. I said, so you're just living in a lean-to in the woods? He goes, yeah. And, and, and I said, well, that's kind of nice. But though my daughter says, you better get a good job because you're going to be supporting the both of you. <laughs> you know? And I said, this is what you want to do. Anyway, kind of fizzled out. But they stayed friends. And guess what he does for a living? He teaches Navy SEALs how to surf. He's got a contract for life. <laughs> he didn't let anybody dissuade him from what brought him joy. You see, this is one of the things that we really need to pay attention to. You've got to become self-aware. People say, oh, I'm so happy around children. Well, find a job that brings you around children. There's a lot of children need a lot of help today. People say, oh, boy, I've always wanted to. We had one fellow came to the to the class, you know, and he, he, he was a dentist and terribly unhappy. And he always wanted to be in a band. He played the trombone. And so he came to that class, and it changed his life. He quit. His, he closed down his practice, which really got his wife upset, got his children upset. They didn't have the expensive toys anymore. And he came back a year later after talking to Alexander several times, saying how unhappy he was and all, uh, or his family was, but he was very happy. But when he came back the next year, his whole family came. His whole family became very happy because he was full of joy and happy. And being the bright light that showed them, you've got to do what you love. He was healthy. He was good. He was fine. When you're doing things that call you, cause you stress, well, it's no secret what stress does to your body. So why not do something that brings you joy and brings you health? Let your body function at peak capacity. When we're in stress, we're shutting down different parts of our bodies. We're holding them tight. And your body can't function properly. Pretty soon you're in this state of dis-ease, which of course turns into a disease. So it's about becoming aware what brings you happy. And don't let anything or anyone dissuade you from it. Like I said earlier, you might have to decide to want less rather than keep trying to make more. And this is kind of a thing that happens. You, you also alluded to something else, too, where people work in a job that they hate. Each negative thought builds up in your body. Remember 1,760 thoughts. I hate being here. I hate being here. What happens? You go home and you treat your family with hatred. You treat everybody with hatred. And you spread it around. And you'll wonder why the universe doesn't give you anything back. It's mental, it's physical, it's emotional, and it's spiritual. So people work in a job they don't like, and they go out and get drunk and party all weekend and can't do a darn thing on Monday, you know, and wonder why their lives aren't working. So so how do you, uh, how do, you do that if it's like, how do you make that transition? I guess like for me and Michael, for example, it's how do we step into that spiritual calling that we love but makes us no money? Or how does someone who is called to do artwork or, you know, be a musician or do whatever makes their heart sing and their soul dance and what they truly love to do, but makes them no money in the immediate when we live a physical reality? How, how did you do that? Yeah, I kept doing carpentry in the beginning. I kept doing construction. I do healing and then occasionally I take a carpentry job or I take a construction job. I let it grow by itself. 
And then I had the good fortune. There is a company called Big Impact, and they were just unbelievable. I mentioned it a little earlier. And they're marketers. See, I wasn't a marketer. They're a marketer. What I would tell to you both is stay in your lane. You want to do healing, focus on healing and let it come to you. Then find somebody who knows how to work the, all of the uh, the platforms and the marketing and what works, you know, and let them do that for you. I found that when I travel, well, here's how I started slowly. Let me back up a step. I was going to seminars and people would notice, you know, what they, I would do laying of hands. I do little healing stuff for them. And they'd say, wow, you know, you should come to our city. And I said, well, get 10, 15, 20 people together and I'll come. So call me up when you've got a bunch of people together and I'll come to your city. After a while, I was going to like seven cities three times a year. And sometimes I'd leave. I think I'm going to be back in a month or so. I might be back a year and a month later because they'd send me, somebody would say, you need to come to my city because they came to this city to see me. And they said, well, I've got a lot of ill people in my family and, and friends. Can you come there? I said, sure, set it up. And I started going around like that. And boy, that was wonderful. I was making a lot of money. And a lot of people were getting healed. That was something that just started to evolve. And it had, the thing that the difficulty was with that was it would it would be in ebbs and flows. Sometimes it would be amazing. I'd go to one city and it'd start out like they'd have 15 or 20 people and I will have done 70 or 80 heals, healings before I left. I'd plan a three-day visit and I'd be there a whole week. <laughs> and that would just happen. Sometimes I would go and almost nobody would be there. There'd be four or five people. I would enjoy the people that sponsored me. But miracles tended to happen during those times. It took me a while to realize it wasn't about the numbers. Now, remember, I eliminated the debt. I just stopped it. I didn't have, I haven't had a payment on any of my vehicles in years. They, I just take care of them, you know, and, and that's what happens. You take care of it. You, you know, what you've got, and God will take care of you kind of thing. So you don't get caught in this trap where Madison Avenue has told you how to live, how much you should have, what you should wear, how you should dress, how you should smell, how you interact with people. It's all about commerce. It's got nothing to do with your heart. You make up your own mind. You say, this is what I'm going to do. And maybe, like I did, I had to go to places where, well, in India, I sure didn't have to have, uh, well, let me say two things. It was, uh, oh, I don't remember the exchange at the time in India, but when I was in Thailand, it was 44 baht to a dollar. I could have all you could eat sushi for $2, you know? <laughs> it was like 88 baht. And I could live like a king there on very little income. When I got working on computers, I was working all over the world, getting paid in American dollars and living on in countries where it would go three or four times or up to 44 times more benefit. So it started to balance out. You know, the funny thing is, as I'm saying this, I didn't think that through. It just started happening. When you're driven and you're told where to go, go there. So, oh, I've got this, I've got that, I've got something else. You'll take none of it to your grave. <laughs> and it won't be there when you get back. <laughs> so stop worrying about it, <laughs> you know. What kind of joy does it bring you to have what you have? 
Now, I'll confess, I've kept a lot of my construction tools at my son's house. <laughs> I can't seem to, I'm attached to them, <laughs> and I can't seem to let those go. And there's a, certainly a part of me that says, hey, look, and it is, it is, I've gone through times in my life where, well, just everybody's doing something else somehow. It's one of those ebbs and flows. And nobody's wanting healings right now. And I said, oh, no, I better go get a job. So I'll do some carpentry work. Sometimes I'll just go build some furniture or, or invent something and build it, and somebody wants it. My mother taught me that. I built this beautiful table, and I brought it to show her. She was, I think, around 80-something, 80 86 or 7. I showed it to her. My cousin was there, and they started putting things on it and decorating it. And they go, this is beautiful. And... Uh, and one of the goes, yeah, my cousin goes, it'll look good over there. So we put it there, and that was the end of that table. <laughs> or the beginning of it, I should say. My joy turned out to be her joy. And tell you the truth, I'm just thinking, of, I don't know where that table is now. She passed on about four or five years ago. And uh, somewhere, somebody is enjoying that table. That brings me joy. I know it's not wasted. I know it's not thrown away. It's in service someplace. When that starts to bring you joy, instead of just, okay, I'm going to do this, and now you're trading what we call time for money. No, you trade your value for what you need. It's really amazing. I have a good friend. She, uh, she does a lot of healing work, and this fellow needed help with his son, and she, he, she goes, well, I don't know what to charge. And he goes, well, my son really, when you came, he really improved and all. And she said, well, I don't have a car. He bought her a car. <laughs> Just like that. She kept focused on healing the young man, and he took care of her need for transportation to get there to do it. You see, these things happen in the world. We're not trained to see them. We're not trained to, to create them, which is a really big factor here. Create it. Sit down and manifest it. Say, you know what? I want to do this full time. And watch who comes into your life. Some Somebody who does marketing really well, just like we met in that store there, you know, uh, Jordan. All And here we are. <laughs> okay. This will benefit you. It'll benefit me. You're doing what you love. I'm doing what I love. I get to talk to people about healing, and everybody wins. And I think that all of that's a really good reminder that, you know, the blessings come in many different forms. So, you know, we're conditioned to think, oh, we're doing everything specifically so that we can have, like, cash money to put in the bank to where we can get everything that we want. And that's one of the main things that I've really been working on um, unconditioning myself from is knowing that all the blessings come in through like many different ways, like this conversation right here. It's, you know, it's like you and Jordan met and we're all getting so much benefit from this and uh, just letting go of the idea that you have to do something for money and money's like the driving factor behind doing something. Um, well, I can't, yeah, see, this is, this is the mindset that we've been trained. You don't have to do things for money. This is strange to say this, but it's like, First, remember I said wanting less. I can tell you, I could go, I went, I don't know how many years. Incidentally, I haven't had a bank account in over 15 years. I just don't deal with those things anymore. It's a whole different paradigm. 
it's something I say, I'm not participating in this way. And like I said, I, I get all over the place. How? It just happens. People say, hey, come here. I say, well, I need a ride. Yes, I'll send you one. <laughs> That's it. You see, you trust, have that faith. See, I, what I hear is, and I hear it so many times, we want a concrete answer. And I keep telling you, it's a fair faith. And you actually said it yourself. You know it. But it's hard to let go. We've got generations of thought forms and cell memory telling us, nope, nope, you've got to make money. Nope, you've got to make money. Well, you don't, actually. I'm going to go to Thailand here. I'm going to work with a group of people that are helping uh, oppressed or, or enslaved beings that have been freed, and, and we're going to go help them get back into society. So, wow, how am I going to do that? Well, you, I say, here, I put myself forward, and all of a sudden people start pouring their resources into it so I can go. It's all in the mind. It creates your reality, just like the healing and the wounds and everything in your response to other people. It's all in the mind. And you literally said it, and people say it all the time, do what you love and the money will come. And the reason is, is because you're doing, you're, 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 you're giving your value. And because you're giving your value and what is at your highest value, because love is one of the highest vibrations. If you're doing something because you actually genuinely love it, your value, your point of receiving will be higher because of that. And it's so hard because it is a conditioning in our minds of like, we got to do things for money or we have to have a lot of money to have freedom. But in reality, I really believe to have freedom, you have to be free in your mind because your mind is what will create your reality. And if you have the faith and you have the right beliefs, you can literally have anything you want. Yeah. So you say, how do you do that? Because boy, the unconscious is full of lifetimes of other... Uh, OP energy, you know, other people's energy, <laughs> other people's thought forms. Well, let's reduce this to something very simple. You've heard it a million times, thoughts create. Yeah. Your thoughts create. You have an essence. The essence turns into a, a, a desire. The desire turns into a thought. The thought turns into words. The words turn into action. So in effect, you've taken from a way out of the universe, brought it into your universe, from your universe, you brought it in internally and then filtered it back out externally and created something. So who's the creator? Is it some bearded guy in the sky that you send your money to and worship? Or is it some collective consciousness inside you? You couldn't even be on this show unless you decided to do it. You created it. You couldn't be sitting there unless you thought about it first. There isn't a single thing in your life that happens that isn't preceded by a thought. You don't even sit down and then think, I'll sit down. You have to think it first. And guess what? Your unconscious mind is symbolic. It thinks in pictures. You've even pictured yourself waking up in the morning. You say, oh, yeah, but I have all these thoughts. It, it doesn't matter. Well, let me give you a really great example of how these thoughts can muck you up. So we were doing uh, uh, some experiments where, you know, have you ever seen in uh, hypnotism where they set somebody on, you know, their head on one chair and their foot on, you know, the other chair and they're stiff as a board. They get right on top of them and they push them down, nothing, right? They don't move. They can't, you can't, can't you can't push them down, right? So we were experimenting with this and we tried it. So we broke into groups of three. And we're experimenting with this and saying, okay, we're going to get each other stiff as a board. And while it was my turn for them to do it to me, 
my brain's gone, this will never work. They left out this word. They didn't do what the instructor said. They ad-libbed on this one, you know. Wow, they're picking me up and tipping me over and putting there, and I'm stiff and aboard. My brain is still saying, this will never work. <laughs> and my heart, my inner knowing, already knew it worked and already did it. What's the correlation here? What you've been taught, what you've experienced, has nothing to do with what is. Well, let me refrain that. It's only a very small portion of what really is. Your internal knowing knows, just like you got somewhere without using your senses and your eyes and making up stories about everything you see. It's all we do. We justify and defend what's in front of us, how we're interacting. Then we justify our actions. Stop doing it. Just keep looking within. And then you start finding out what makes you happy. When you start making find out what makes you happy, do that. The highest frequency that I know of, that I used to think it was gratitude. It's not. It's authenticity. You touched on it just a minute ago. Do what you love. The money you'll follow. Do what makes you happy. You're authentic in that. Yeah? Sadness is authentic. Joy is authentic, right? <laughs> so which way would you rather go? I'm going to do this because I enjoy being unhappy. <laughs> I've met people like that. They enjoy annoying people. They enjoy making things difficult. Well, it could be that that's their position in life to help people to wake up. It's not for me to say. What's for me to say is how do I interact with that? That's what's important. Do I stay there and try to convince them something different? Do I just sit there quietly and let them say their piece and then say mine? Or do I just choose to walk away and be somewhere else? Somebody else may need the energy that I'd like to give. Maybe they don't want it. It's okay. And maybe they're just teaching me, don't waste your energy on something that's not going to change. Put your energy where it's better used, where somebody wants to hear it, where somebody's excited about growth like you two. <laughs> okay? And you want to get something done. You're here doing it. You're doing, literally in this very moment, what you're saying you want to do. That's extraordinarily powerful. And the brain's going, yeah, but, yeah, but, I have to make money and pay the bills. You say, yeah, but, too many times you turn into a butthead. <laughs> it's, it's, it's what happens. And we, believe me, I, boy, that butthead, that was a tough one for me. Yeah, but, yeah, but, all the time. So I learned to forgive myself from all those thoughts. And, and just like when those, they had me stiff as a board and they're pushing on me, and it is extraordinary. They can't budge you even a, a, nothing. It's like pushing on a piece of steel. And you try doing that without being, you know, how it's going to that state of mind. I can't hold my body straight like that only for a few seconds, and I'm, <laughs> it's over with for me. <laughs> I, I can't just have my head on one spot and my feet on the other. It's too hard to do for me. I'm not that kind of an athlete. And even an athlete can't do it. And if you push down on an athlete, you push him down. So how powerful are you? Yeah. Another one, I take people firewalking. Look at your hands. That's the bottom of your feet. We've measured the calls at 1,425 degrees. Somebody brought me a cherry that night, you know, and I thought, oh, boy, that's going to be hotter. 
And that, that happened to be my daughter came and she brought her friends and my son was there. And I thought, well, I'm going to kill everybody tonight. <laughs> and I'm really getting worried. And I'm thinking, this fire's so hot. And I'm raking the fire. And I look down and I'm standing at it. What happened? See, I knew already that the fire and I are friends. I'd already made that relationship. Fire burns. Yeah, you bet it does. You know why it burns? Because you're not in alignment with what it does. You're not in alignment with that energy. You've got fire in your body, 98.6, when you're healthy. Fire helps us do all kinds of things. Keeps us warm in the winter. Heats the coffee. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's your friend. It's not your enemy. So when you align with universal law at the point of contact, there's either a continuance of energy exchange or there is a resistance, just like a light bulb. It's called heat. And in that heat, it's called a burn. But you remove the lie that the fire is my enemy. Here's this natural source of the universe, just like you are and you remove that erroneous thought, you become one with the fire and you walk. It's not a thought either. People, we always talk about after, say, well, I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, I just walked. Now, I had one gal, she came to three firewalks. She's the only one, never walked. And on the fourth one, I was at a barbecue kind of thing. I said, let's do a firewalk. I said, it's not smart. You guys are drinking, you're having fun, you know? And anyway, they just were determined. They built a fire. I said, well, I'm going to have to take hold of this or they're going to get hurt. And I did tell a few people that were really uh, too much to drink or whatever they did. And I said, you can't do this. You know, what the others did. And that night, she walked. And we learned something that night. The times that she didn't walk, this sounds really stupid, but this is how simple things are, my point here. I learned that when a person decided or knew they couldn't walk, they didn't get burned because they didn't walk. The people that knew they could walk, walked, and they didn't get burned. So the power wasn't walking on the coals. It was knowing when to walk. That's real crucial to know. You have that power within you. And people exercised it. So people were successful choosing not to walk the same as people were successful choosing to walk. Neither got burned. Now, to me, that was really exciting because we say, oh, we've got, I failed or I succeeded. There's no such thing. That's a trick of the mind. There's just results. They're either favorable or they're not. I knew I shouldn't have walked on the fire. I forced it because, well, like that's happened to this one young lady. My daughter said she wasn't going to walk. She just wanted to hear what I had to say. And this elderly woman said the same thing. And they were standing out in the fire, and all of a sudden they held hands and walked across together. They'd never met each other, never said a word to each other. But that was how it worked for them. And my daughter's friend wanted to be cool, so she, which is the wrong acronym here, <laughs> in a fire walk. And she walks around and she says, Carl, let's walk across together. When she walked across, she got some blisters on her foot, only on one foot. And you have to take about eight or nine steps to get across. And so on one foot, like this little S curve on the bottom of her foot, looked like a little S. And all the guys wanted to pick her up and you know take her to the hospital. And I said, just sit down, just relax. We're going to take care of this. Now, this is really important. This is the power we have.
So we started looking at why did she walk? Why did she do things? She, well, she walked, she wanted to be cool. Why did she uh, get good grades at school? Because her parents wanted her to. Why does she wear the clothes that she wears? Because other people like them. She's doing everything for everybody else and not for herself. That was her lesson. And as we looked at each blister, she knew which one she would that would come to her, why she did what she did. Then as she did, the blisters literally disappeared. She had two or three left when we were done. She said, well, let's get those. I said, no, that's for you. You take care of those now. That's what it's about. You learn how to take care of yourself. You learn how to keep yourself healthy. You learn to do things from your authentic self because it brings you joy. It activates the love in your field that you're completely authentic, and that is the highest frequency that I know of that you could be. It exceeds, you know, love romantic. It exceeds fear. It exceeds those. Those are very low vibrations, very low frequencies, these negative energies. And they invite more negative energies. These negative energies become negative thoughts. Negative thoughts become negative deeds. And that's how it starts to work, and you become ill. So you go back to be authentic to who you are. I know it keeps, I keep hearing uh, you say, yeah, but, yeah, but I still got to make a living. <laughs> so you say, what I did, I started eliminating everything I made payments on. I realized I wasn't free. I realized that it's like, yes, do I have to buy insurance? And yes, I do. But you mentioned something earlier, and we'll touch on that maybe another time. I'm totally into the being sovereign. No, we don't need insurance. We don't even need driver's licenses. We don't need any kinds of certificates or licenses. We need to take our sovereignty back. And that starts right smack in the middle of your heart. Got to know who you are. Have the courage to act upon that. And these are roads less traveled. What I've noticed, I went into the NFL club really quick. No friends or family left. <laughs> okay, NFL. Now, do we hate each other? No, we're, we're, we're still family. It's okay, but there's this nutball over there named Greg, and here's the rest of us. <laughs> okay, and I, I'm okay with that. They still love me. It's not that they don't you know, care for me or things like that, but there are people that have left my life entirely, and there are a whole bunch more people that have come into my life, and there are some other people who say, wow, we were doing this together, yeah, visiting the bars. Now you're doing this, and I see how much happier you are. What can I do? Help me. And boy, that's when I light up. <laughs> there I can put my energy. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? What is your why? My favorite question, like people come to get healings from me. So why are you here? Why are you here really? And I grill them for a while on a certain one of the kinds of healings that I do until they get past their brain. Oh, yeah. I just want to help children. Then that's what you should be doing. What, what rings your bell? How do you want to help them? Well, one of the cows, she became, she taught her handicapped children how to ski and how to swim and how to do sports. Because she was very athletic, so she used her skills to teach children. And that brings her so much joy. 
They all want her to be the manager and take over. No, she knows what brings her joy. She wants to work with the children. She doesn't want to work with people who work with the children. Her joy is in working with the children. She stays there. See, we've been trained. Oh, you've got to go make so much money in order to be successful. Um, women aren't going to pay attention to you unless you have all the security of money, you know, or men, you know, are weak and, and spineless if they don't go out and make money. Those are all baloney. These are all distortions. As a matter of fact, in the spiritual world, there's way more women than men. <laughs> we take a lot longer to get the show on the road here. See, because they've already got that incoming knowledge. They've got the incoming energy, the wisdom. So it's easier for them to tap in. And that, as men, that's what we've got to learn to do. We've got to learn to look into your third eye. Look in the mirror and pay attention to your heart and see what's going on. This is a great thing I, I teach a lot of people to do. I say, look in the third eye of the person in front of you and only pay attention to yourself. You will know more about them than they will know. And mostly, you will know where you fit and wherever they are. Because, say, might be time to leave, might be time to make a change, might be time to join what they're doing, or ask them to join what you're doing. But at least you'll know your truth in the moment and be able to act on it. This is what makes the world go round. <laughs> And I'll think of it. If you tell your truth, you open the door for others to tell it. You say, oh, I was telling you the story and I got off on this tangent. Let me reframe that. Let me start over again. I'm not telling you the truth here. Let me get back and state what I really want to say. And when you do that with people, it gives them permission to do the same thing. So how does this fit? Well, I still have to make money. I still have to do these things. Yes, there are certain things until you learn to stop creating more debt Learn how to want less. Learn how to take care of yourself in such a way that you don't need more. Because really, where does your joy come from? Yeah, you might get happy buying it. I remember I bought my first truck. I was so happy because it was one of my moments of, um, what do you call it, a marker of success. You know, I, I, uh, I said, well, I've got to have an office and a secretary and a car, uh, a truck and a Corvette or something. I had made that up, you know. And when I got all of that, I didn't feel anything different. So, well, good, you know, it's okay. Most of the time I drove the truck, I hardly ever drove the Corvette, you know. But it was what I thought was make me happy, but it didn't change anything. Now, was, was it nice to have some of those things? Sure. But most of my vehicles will last 12, 15 years, and just then it's time to, to make a change mostly because I lived up in the east and the salt just destroyed them. <laughs> it's all I keep driving them. This is what we need to learn. Madison Avery doesn't run your life. Your heart does. Let your heart tell you what to do. Follow it. Many of the seminars we put on, people go out that day. I remember when Alexander used to this two-day seminar, people go back and he said, I don't tell you to do this, but if you're unhappy with your job, get out now. You take an action and speak to yourself loudly, and yourself will tell you what to do next. Something will come right, drop right in your lap. I have had it happen so many times. 
Learn to manifest. Learn what it takes to manifest. And focus is one of those big things. Being authentic to your heart, to your personal self, to your desires is one of those things. We say, oh, gee, I love uh, cars. And you say, oh, well, that's wrong. I shouldn't love cars. If you love cars, it's okay. What you're doing with them might be the other issue. Are you just having them to show off or you're having them because it brings you joy? And when somebody needs a car, you might be able to give it to them. Who knows? It's your intention, what you're creating for yourself, your own joy, and then others start to benefit. You send out this vibration like a ripple in the pond. It just affects everybody. When I was down and depressed, the phone didn't ring. People didn't call me. I wondered what was going on. And then I changed my mind. I start doing things that make me happy. The phone starts ringing. It's, it's, a, it's like it's a miracle. <laughs> and it works. Mm. It just happened to me just, just recently. I just uh, talk to yourself. You're doing it anyway. If you don't have what you want, say, hey, unconscious mind, I don't have this. Why not? A better question is to say, hey, unconscious mind, I notice I'm creating the same old thing. Here's what I do want. Get with the program, will you? Why not talk to yourself like that? You're talking to yourself anyway. Are you telling yourself? Are you asking yourself empowering questions? Or are you saying same old, same old? And remember one important thing about this, your unconscious mind does not register a negative. You say, I don't want to live in poverty. Your unconscious mind hurt. I want to live in poverty. And incidentally saying I want means I lack. So you really want to be, pay attention to what you're saying, your words are extraordinarily powerful, especially to yourself. As Don Miguel Ruiz says, you know, the four, he wrote the four agreements. It's like be impeccable with your word, especially with yourself. Like, here's how important it is, and here's how easy it is to break it. Let's say, hey, Jordan says, hey, let's meet at nine o'clock at, you know, the coffee house. So um, I get there at 9.30. I broke my word, didn't I? I broke our agreement. And, and I have several things we can do at that point. I said, geez, I acknowledge a broken agreement. Can we make a new one? Okay, which would be the best way to go. I'm sorry is one of the worst ways to go because you've not done anything to correct the situation. Okay? The most important thing about this is if I don't keep my agreement with you, neither have I kept it with myself and your little unconscious mind goes, ah, there's one on the negative side, you're going to pay for that one. <laughs> Don't know how yet, but you're going to pay. Hmm. You broke an agreement. Said you'd be there and you didn't weren't there. If your issue is truth or lying, then you lied. If your issue is respect, you'd say, well, I'm just respectful. That's how you frame the whole scenario. That is how you're going to create either health or illness in your body, in your mind, in your emotions. Emotionally unbalanced, mentally unstable, physically hurting, 
and spiritually disconnected. So you want the opposite of that. Say, wait a minute, I want to be spiritually connected on this subject. Unconscious mind, handle it. Or picture yourself as it's, oh, it's already done what it is that you want. Say you want to do this healing, for example. You say, I see myself doing this healing. I see myself well cared for. And the next morning you wake up and you say, what is it that I need to do that will get me one step closer? What could I do today? I'm talking to my higher self now. Listen up. <laughs> you know, hey, listen, you guys, I'm talking to you right now. It's like, this is what I want. What do I need to do today to get me one step closer to this? Just like you're doing this today. Let's get you one step closer. This is what you're loving to do. You're not doing something else. You're doing this. This could be your genius. This could be what opens the hearts and minds and the, the whole energy spigots of everything. That could be because that's your genius. Just simply put these questions out there to bring people who answer them in their own way. Everybody's got their own genius. This good, good story. I was on an airplane and uh, this woman says, what are you doing? I said, well, I do spiritual healing. She goes, oh, she starts laughing. She says, ha, ha, heal me. I said, well, it isn't a horse and pony show, you know. Are you hurting? You know? And she said, you guys, all you spiritual guys, you know, you don't have anything. You're not selling anything, but you're going to charge me, right? And I said, well, y'all have to pay bills like you do. Okay. That's when I was still paying bills. Or I still wanted money to travel, things like that. I still do. So I do charge for things, yes. It's okay. And she said, she, I said, well, so I should be doing this for free. I said, what do you do for a living? She goes, well, I'm an accountant. I said, you're really gifted with numbers. Huh? She goes, yeah. That's well, then you shouldn't charge for it either if that's your gift. So that, that's not a logical thing, is it? It's not practical. It's not logical. And it doesn't work. It's a, it, it, it totally doesn't work. Yes, we still need food. Yes, we need sustenance. Yes, we need shelter. How is it that we're going to create that? Well, you could create it by doing healing work. People, you would just be amazed. There's a beautiful um, cow I did healing for, oh my gosh, 20 years ago or so. She owned this huge ranch out in uh, another state. I'm going to keep very, very low key on this, but uh, uh, she had a very large estate and a very large house, and she considered every time I went to that state to do healing work, she said the entire lower level of this house is yours. Why? Even though she paid me, I think it was a whopping $100 at the time to get her out of dying, Okay, she realized the absolute gravity of the situation and loves me unconditionally and says that whole lower level is yours whenever you come to visit. That's how things happen. Did I need money to stay there? Nope. I remember one time I had to get from Las Vegas to uh, to Georgia and uh thinking about it, and one of my friends called, she goes, I just got a commission. I've got to drive all this equipment from Las Vegas to Georgia. And I said, you mind if I tag along? <laughs> and we went. 
You see, when you're clear, when you're led by what people say, led by God, I want to tell you, when you're led by your inner conscience, your inner voice, the collective voice, and the etheric voice, and the universal voice, it can't help but give you what you want, because that's where it came from. Nobody taught you that. You just knew it. And that's the difference when you just know something. Your brain doesn't start playing with it. You just know it. So I've got to do this. Just like you've got to do these interviews. You just know you've got to do them. So you do them. What stopped you? Nothing. You're doing it. <laughs> so your why exceeded any of those negative thought forms like I talked about when I was at the casino, you know, uh, playing the they didn't stop me. I realized that they're maybe going to be there the rest of my life, but they're not going to run my life anymore. So when you can separate yourself from the emotion of a trauma, an abuse, an illness, or a sickness, when you can separate yourself from what you made up to justify that's the way you were, the brain just loves to justify and defend your position so it doesn't have to do anything about it, when you realize that those things don't matter and you start listening, but yeah, my heart's telling me to go to Texas <laughs> or wherever it's telling you. Go do it and watch what happens. Have faith in yourself. You are creating, which makes you a creator, the creator, a collective consciousness creator, however you want to say it. Who cares as long as it works? That probably is my greatest gift to give you. I didn't care. I don't care how it works. I care that it does work. I've been asked by many people, for example, that are great sages and priestesses and, and, and high-level people, and, the, and they want me to be there to keep them grounded. And you're going to be the, the grid keeper. I said, okay. And I'll wait, and later I'll call them up. I said, what's that? You know, <laughs> what do you mean the grid keeper? I don't know what that means. And they'd explain to myself, oh, yeah, I, oh, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> so I'm honest to myself. I'm honest to them. If they said, well, you don't know what that is. Well, you can't be it. I said, okay. <laughs> what difference does it make? If that's not who I am, why would I want to do it? And like you said, there's you do something, you give something, you get something back. The universe is so huge, it can't help but give you more. I know that sometimes when there wasn't many people being, you know, coming in to to ask for healings for and to pay, give me, you know, some energy exchange, that I would get a deluge of people calling me, as quote my friend or or had a friend or something that needed help and couldn't pay. I said, okay. Put them on. Why? Because I'm here anyway, right? And that's what I love to do, so why not give something back? And right after, every time I would do that, it just gets so busy afterwards. Have faith, have faith, have faith. Did I say have faith yet? No, I'm going to have faith. Have more faith. <laughs> it's, the, it's the journey is what I'm realizing. It's what Michael always says. It's mm. like you, you take the next step you know you're supposed to take but you don't have to know all the steps after that because like in your experience, you took 
the step and the only step you knew what to do in that moment. And that brought everything else. That brought the growing healing business. That brought the growing form of like letting things go. And it, it just took you where it was supposed to go. But you're, you're never going to get there unless you take that first step, you know? That's so, what you said is so important. Got to take that first step. Um, Dad Millman calls it the road left tra less traveled, you know, just just take it. If you don't take it, you've done nothing. If you've done nothing, you get nothing. It's just, just as simple as that. So it's so all the, the long questions. How do we do this? How do we change? How do we do this? To have faith in yourself, yeah, that it's going to work. And you send out a ripple and people pick it up and they come and catch you and they, they ask you to do things. They tell you what they want and say, yes, I can do that. Or you say, no, that's not exactly what I do, but uh, call Jordan, he knows, or call Michael, he knows, or call Greg or John or somebody that you know that does do that. If you have as much faith as a mustard seed, you could move mountains, and it all comes down to your beliefs. Uh, it's what you believe, what your thought forms are, your conditioning, and you. what I tell people is like, ask yourself, do you align with that? Maybe one version of yourself aligned with how you acted when you were 11 or 12 to your parents, but does yourself, as you are now, still respond to that in the way that you're wanting to? And you have the option of saying yes or no and to change those beliefs. And once you change those beliefs, you'll, you'll be able to see the guidance or hear the or hear your higher self easier, whatever it is we're trying to do. Yeah. yeah when I stepped away from construction, I, I was petrified. I really mean it. I was. I was scared. I was excited, but I was petrified and excited <laughs> because I'd say, wow, I've got so much to pay, so much to pay, so much to pay. And I learned. So, well, gee, I... God, I had 11 cars with my construction trucks and cars and things. I saw something, I bought it. I was totally into the capitalism, you know. I was just in commerce and boy. And when I started realizing what do I need now, especially as I curved back and get smaller and smaller and smaller in construction, finally stopped. I only needed one truck. And now why do I need a car? I don't need a car. I just need one form of transportation. So, ah, well, I'll drive that till it's paid off and keep driving it. And that's what I did. See, it's wanting less. It, it, that was one of the hardest things uh, for me at the time. It was because I had a lot, you know. And I gave a lot away. People that needed things, I can't tell you how many cars I gave away. Some people said, oh, that was dumb. You shouldn't have sold it. I said, they didn't have any money. What are you going to do? They needed it. They got to support their family, and that's their life. And I didn't need it anymore. It's paid off. Give it to them. Now, I actually did that with one of my houses. <laughs> Sometimes I regret that to this day, but <laughs> glad I did it. <laughs> okay, I had a gal I lived with for ten years, and she was petrified that that um, you know, she would be left out on the street because that's what happened to her when she was previously married. I said I promised her I would never do that, and when I realized our relationship was at, at its ending place, I said, "Okay, I'm going to head out." Uh, the house is yours. That was it. I told it. Everything worked the way it was supposed to. Other things would fall in my lap of, of a commensurate nature that allowed me to travel even more, to do more, to heal more. And I, you said it earlier, I'm going to hit on it again. The more you do, the more you receive. It's called the rebound effect. I do a thing every Thursday at uh, seven in, or what's it? 
Eastern time. It's um, 11 in the morning and 7 at night Eastern time. And just do healing work. Whoever wants to come on, it's free. And teach everybody, yeah, when we all get together, we take somebody's intention and we all put all of our attention on it. And then we share what happened to ourselves, not what happened to them. Only they know that. We've got people out of cancer. We've got people out of depressions. We've got people wanting to get married, got married. <laughs> it just You ask for help and you can get it. Well, I want I want to let people see that that it, it doesn't take a, a a two by four or a scalpel or medication. It takes a focused desire, a focused intention. We make it happen. As I'm talking to you, I think of a dozen things that I need to focus my attention on. <laughs> I'd like to get handled, but they just keep coming. It's like you say, it's a journey. So, oh yeah, I've been thinking, yeah, I want to do this, and I haven't done it in a while. Well, okay, it's time to focus on that. It's not rocket science. Now, as you said, like the answers are so simple, and you know, our we know that they're simple, like with our inner knowing. But it's the thoughts that come in that make us think, oh no, that's too simple. It can't be that. No, it has to be like this long, drawn out process. And I really liked what you said. It's like, yeah, the voices may continue to be there, but it's a choice that you take whether or not you listen to them and believe them because just because they're going on doesn't mean that you have to listen to them and if you don't listen to them then you don't believe them um yeah the answers are so simple and yeah we do it with other people and like i said your your antenna's out there and you've learned so many things and we parrot so many things without thinking because we 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 think we have to yeah we have to talk dot, 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 instead of somebody says something you let the silence come and then respond instead of react. See, most people listen to get ahead, to take advantage, to win, instead of to understand. It makes a big difference. And now we want to take it a step further. We want to listen to understand. I just can't stress that anymore. I, I think that's the thing that most changed me in this conversation because uh, you even said it, because you do face readings. It's one of the many things you do and you face readings. I remember when we met, and Zenergy, you looked at me and, you know, you talk, started talking about face readings and stuff. And then you said, you have this innate need to understand. And I was like, you are like, understand is probably a big word in your vocabulary. And I'm like, it is. Like, for me, my brain has to understand how something works or understand what I'm supposed to be doing or understand X, Y, Z. And it, all, it literally almost most of the time is like the thing getting in my way the most, you know, it's that innate need to understand. And so when you said understand, it's like, why am I relying on all these outside things in order to make my life function when all I have and all I will ever need is right here on the inside. And it's about decluttering that inside so I can feel and touch. Like you said, it's like, it's not necessarily about what you feel, touch and see in the real world, but what about what you feel, touch and see on the inside of you and all the things that are blocking you. And I told Michael this is like, people talk about visualization all the time, you know, Abraham Hicks and all these people visualization. I, I thought of this the other day and I told Michael, I was like, what if, we started visualizing what we want, but when we're visualizing what we're wanting, why don't we visualize and feel our thoughts in that process? Like, let's say I, I visualize and I want to be, you know, an intuitive healer. And I want to do this service, right? And let's visualize me with a client or visualize me with someone doing that thing. What are the thoughts I'm having? What are the blocks? Because if I can see the blocks, I'll know exactly what's ruining me from having in the present moment. If I'm in there and I'm visualizing this me with this client, I'm like, 
oh, I'm second guessing myself. Oh, I don't believe that I'm actually doing it or blah, blah, blah. Then you know exactly what's preventing you from being exactly where you want to be. And it's like, like you said, it's everything on the inside that you have to kind of, kind of communicate and interpret from the world outside of you to be able to understand something and to navigate your journey where you want it to go in every given moment. So that is like the one thing I kind of took out the most from what you said is just the ability to understand instead of understand because I struggle with that so much. Yeah, well, do I do still too because if I catch myself really pondering on something, I say, well, just meditate about it. And if I don't hear the answer, it's okay. What I did is I know I placed a directive in to get it handled. It will be. Like have faith in yourself like that. We impatient. We want the answer you know, right now. It may not be in divine order to get it right now. You may need it to learn something more. There's so many things. I. Uh, it's just extraordinary the way they happen if we would really stop and look at them. A, a, a great example, I, my sister, I was caregiving for her for the last three and a half years. She was a paraplegic. And in her passing... I thought, what? I, I had this, I was sitting there and I was, you know, I was a little bit sad. And I said, why, why was I here? Why did I decide to be the caretaker? Why, what, what was it that I was led, why was I led to be here? And then I heard this voice, it was so simple. It, it took me three and a half years to get the message. I'll tell you, I kind of a, still got some of that bonehead contractor in me, but <laughs> it's a, it's a, People say oh, it's so hard to work on people that you love, people that like your family, uh, close relatives, things like this. That's not true, I discovered. That was one of my really big takeaways with this. What was hard was what I thought she was thinking that stopped me from doing the best that I could do in certain circumstances. It's our own thoughts that make up this stuff. And for what? Reasons of convenience, of saving time, whatever our excuse is, it's not the real McCoy. So I took a, had a really big takeaway with that, and it's so funny, several of my friends since that have called needing help, several relatives and their children needing help, and I said, oh, this is interesting, see? Now that my block is gone, they come in. Powerful stuff. <laughs> Powerful and yet just air. Yeah, yeah, sometimes the most simple stuff is the most powerful stuff. We just have to be open to receiving it. And this is, you know, absolutely everything that you said has given me the clarity and the insight and everything that I've been looking for um, to make the next changes to literally just affirm what I know to be doing. Um, but I was second guessing myself saying, oh, no, like that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, so just absolutely everything that you said has been so true and just provided so much insight. I'm so thankful that, you know, you and Jordan met and you agreed to be on here because this was exactly what I needed. Um, and I really liked what you said about, I forget how you worded it, but it was like, um, you know, ask questions to your higher self and maybe the answers will like come to you in the form of you attracting people onto the podcast in order to answer those questions. And that's what I told Jordan the other day. It's like, you know, we always talk about, you know, we're tapping into the collective energy here, the energy of all the listeners and everything um, whenever we record this, but we are those listeners also. So in a way, we're really just tapping into our own selves um, to provide ourselves with the answers that we need. And 
by doing that, we can be our most authentic selves because how are we to be more authentic than quite literally, you know, going through the process ourselves. And so, you know, this podcast is really by helping ourselves out. Um, you know, we're helping so many other people out also. And I think that, you know, that's absolutely beautiful that we're able to do that. So, um, Jordan, I don't know if there's anything else that you want to say or Gregory, if there's anything else that you want to add, but I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and I wanted to say thank you very much for being on here and for giving us all the advice and knowledge that you have. Come, you know, go as fast as you can, then I could learn from you later too, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. We all have our strengths. I, I want, I, if I was going to say any of the last thing, everybody has a genius talent, everybody. You're here for a very important reason. Explore it, find out what it is and do it. You might, a lot of people, you're going to discover you're already doing it. People, especially art teachers or, like you mentioned earlier, artists, things like that. They're here doing what they're doing. They're just kind of caught up in the uh, uh, commerce and thinking that they have to do it for the commerce. But just do what you love and everything else falls into place. It's just extraordinary. You said something very important, explore it. Like if the, there's people out there that I know don't know and they're just maybe in a state of limbo or transition, I've been there and I felt that that not knowing like what it is I'm supposed to be doing or what it is that I even love. Like I went through that whole moment a few months ago and I moved and my whole world changed, which is going to happen again and again as time goes on. You're going to have those transition points where you don't really know who you are anymore and it's about redefining who you are. And it's exactly what you said. You explore, you you follow your heart in every given moment, no matter, you don't follow the money, you don't follow the the security outside of yourself. You follow the security inside yourself and you follow your heart. When you align those two things, you're going to align to your calling, you're aligned to your purpose, your love, your passion, your fulfillment, your joy. Everything you ever want is right there, you know? So I think it was all well said. And I mean, if you don't have anything else, Gregory, I, oh, is it Greg? I, I want to know how people can find you if they want to like kind of get in touch with you or anything like that. Um, Do you have website, anything like that? Yeah. My website's been uh, really fluttering in and out. So I think the best way to get hold of me, especially if you need some healing work, is greg at gregjoseph.com. That's G-R-E-G at G-R-E-G-J-O-S-E-P-H dot com. And say, yes, uh, put in the subject line, um, healing. And I'll know that to contact you back and we'll set something up. Now, I just, uh, I know we didn't touch on you and what healing you offer. So the last thing I want to I wanna ask is if you can give a one-liner, <laughs> I know it's hard, a one-liner, I think that summarizes it the best of what healing you actually provide for people. Yeah, I actually work with energy and I work primarily with people who are suffering from pain if given up all hope. We get you back, get you back to your body into your original divine template. I do this in several different methods. Uh, as you mentioned, I have face walking, face reading, not face walking, face reading. <laughs> Firewalk is just another uh, way to show your human potential. Uh, that's a, a huge healing all by itself. Not necessary to walk, but necessary to go through. Uh, energy work is probably the biggest thing that I work with, is aligning all of the energy. We think we have seven chakras. There's well over 144, but working with 15 of them works really well. I also do what's called neurolinguistic programming, NLP. Uh, I'm a certified master teacher in that as well. 
So I use some hypnotherapy. I use what's called per persuasive conversation in such a way that you release the types of bondage that we have from, uh, how I'd say, from misappropriating thoughts together, putting thoughts together that don't belong together. Like you mentioned blocks earlier. I remember the unconscious mind thinks in pictures. So we don't really have blocks. We just, we're just stuck in a few places. We just need to unstick them. So what I basically do is remove the emotional glue that holds you to a past incident that causes you to make up things about yourself that really don't work. Call them negative thought forms. And we get rid of those so that you we literally disperse them and remove any kinds of entities that may be around that are trying to hold them there. And once that happens, you don't forget what the event was, but it no longer runs you. You become free. You may find your genius talent in those moments. It happens quite a bit. And that's what I think I'd like to leave you with. We all have those genius talents. Adjust your focus to find them. Well said. All right, with that, guys, we really appreciate you uh, listening to this episode and just keep spiraling forward.